0: Hello, and welcome to Talking Markets, exclusive and unique insights from Franklin Templeton. Ahead on this episode, how current market and economic conditions could benefit high-yield investors, plus the opportunities and risks right now in the asset class, and why it's often overlooked or misunderstood. Bill Zox and John McClain, portfolio managers with Brandywine Global, join Amr Hassan for this conversation.
1: Bill and John you know with high yield spreads near historical tights, nominal yields near historic lows, what would you say to investors who question if now is a good time to add or increase an allocation to high yield? Yeah,
2: we've been talking about this in in much the same way for the last year and it's important to look at high yield not in a vacuum but in the context of all other asset classes. The analogy I think about is when I was in the back seat of my car, my 15-year-old daughter was learning how to drive. My wife was in the front seat. And inevitably, it would end in tears with both my wife and my daughter crying. Car would be pulled over in the middle of the street and my daughter would get out of the car. My wife would take over the wheel. But in the back seat, there really wasn't much I could do. Uh, they were not listening to me. They were not listening to each other and that's really how i see the high yield market right now is the high yield market is in the back seat while the equity market is behind the wheel and the treasury market is in the passenger seat um but one key difference is that the equity market is driving very skillfully right now and the treasury market is is not doing too much to grab the wheel so the bottom line is on the treasury side we still have very significant negative real yields. The 10 year tip is minus 1.2% right now. There's still over $13 trillion of negative yielding debt around the world. And if you're an investor that has the objective of a positive real return, you have to look farther out the risk spectrum to generate a positive real return. And the high yield market in the U.S. is very compelling compared to investment grade fixed income markets around the world. And then on the equity side, you're still looking at near peak multiples on near peak profit margins in the value of equities has exploded relative to the value of debt. So the value of corporate debt in the U.S. is at record lows compared to the equity market cap of U.S. equities. So high yield spreads are tight and yields are low. But the fundamentals are fantastic right now, in large part because of the strength of that equity cushion, which also leads to access to capital, both equity capital and debt capital. And on the fixed income side, the need for investors to find the U.S. high yield market to achieve their objectives.
3: Yeah, I think the other piece here that that we haven't mentioned is defaults are at record lows and they're expected to be there for some time so the winds at your back and if you look across fixed income we still have 10 plus trillion dollars of negative yielding debt and the majority of fixed income is going to lose purchasing power over time. Inflation's going to eat into this and. U.S. high yield is one of the uh, few areas in fixed income where investors are generating real returns, and it's a reasonably diverse ecosystem that has a reasonable size to it as well. And where would
1: you say that you're currently finding most of the opportunities right now in high yield?
3: Yeah, what's fascinating is most of the time when we're in this type of environment with rates at reasonably low starting yields and spreads at tight levels, We would be very defensive. However, I think that the market has changed meaningfully since the beginning of COVID. We've seen a number of companies come into the high yield marketplace through downgrades, those fallen angels, um, which has presented a number of opportunities, particularly in the reopening space, things like travel and leisure. You can think of cruise lines as an example there. And then really the first time issuers. Access to capital is as good as it's ever been, and we're seeing very high quality businesses coming to the high yield marketplace. So traditionally you think of high yield as legacy industrial businesses that are slowly dying, they have hard assets, and you're really figuring out when does this thing go bust. Now we've got companies that are growing rapidly. You think of companies that are supported by 50 plus billion dollar market caps. And that are generating real free cash flow and the free cash flow relative to the size of the debt is enormous and so we've seen a lot of value there i would say also as we continue to grow in size we're having the opportunity to influence deals and that's definitely a shift over the last six to nine months where because of our size and because of how we manage the small mid-cap type of bias We're able to get a look at deals before the rest of the marketplace, and uh, we're able to help set terms there, uh, which are very beneficial for our end investors. If you're thinking about sector specific, one area of the market is financials. And we've seen a very strong housing market for the past year and a half. We don't particularly like home builders and building products, we think they're over levered and they're not compensating investors uh, in terms of yield. But companies like mortgage originators and servicers, present very interesting opportunities. And one thing that we have seen be very topical has been supply chain disruptions. Well, you know where there's no supply chain disruptions in financials. Another area of the market is energy. And we've seen a dramatic rise in oil prices and natural gas prices. And while we don't think that we're going to see a precipitous crash in terms of pricing, you know, the the tailwinds are there for, for commodities. Bonds aren't the right instrument to express a bullish opinion and therefore we feel like with a commodity specific sector where the intrinsic value of the business is derived from the commodity we're not getting compensated for some unforeseen risks.
2: Another example that came into the market is a new issuer in the financial sector they have $600 million first time bond, but the business has been in the public markets for seven years. And there's a total of $650 million of debt. And free cash flow is, is probably close to the net debt of this business. Leverage is 1.5 times gross net of cash. It's less than one times. And the price talk is in the mid fives. Maybe it's come somewhere 5% or better. For an eight-year bond, the Treasury market's at 1.3% if you look out eight years. This is what we call a thin file. We love credits like this. Uh, It's a very easy business to understand, very strong competitive position in a growth industry. Many would not focus on it because it's too small. A one-off $600 million bond is not going to move the needle for a huge shop. But we love situations like this. This is falling through the cracks because investors are much more focused on the huge multi-billion dollar deals that are in the marketplace.
1: So on the flip side of that, what's the risk right now that you're seeing in high yield? Is is there a a certain area of the market you're trying to avoid? How are you managing around that risk?
2: Yeah, in, in general, it's valuation risk, not default risk. The equity valuation and the access to capital have brought defaults to extremely low levels, and the expectations are that they will stay extremely low for the foreseeable future. So it's really not default risk. It is valuation risk. Um, So parts of the market that you have to be especially careful about would be bonds that have a lot of duration and very little spread. So that would be certain parts of the double B part of the market. Uh, You're just not getting enough credit spread to, to offset significant interest rate risk. And then the other extreme would be bonds that have very significant credit risk and still not enough credit spread because uh, the triple c part of the market is where you would find many of those bonds and that part of the market has been by far the strongest this year and there are um, you know a number of overvalued bonds in that part of the market
1: john what is your outlook right now in the economy and how does high yield fit into that picture
3: yeah, and really this is the macro versus micro discussion from the U.S. economic outlook. It's fine. Are we going to be growing at high single digits next year? Probably not. But are we going to be plugging along? I think yes. While we're seeing tapering uh, starting to occur, we are also going to see an injection of fiscal stimulus. and. I feel like the asset class uh, should do well in in an economy that's in a Goldilocks, low to mid single digit type of growth environment. And our base case right now is that we don't see a material drop in equities. And what I mean by that is kind of a 20% pullback. You could see multiples contract, you could see earnings decline, but in conjunction, that's probably more like a 10 to 15% move lower But if we do see a material drawdown, like we did in the fourth quarter of 2018, high yields held in historically pretty well versus the equity market. That 20% drawdown during the fourth quarter of 18 saw about a 5% drawdown in high yield. And what's important here is this 20% drawdown doesn't really matter from our perspective. We're dealing with very large equity market capitalizations. The equity market in the US has been on a tear for a number of years. And we think that at the end of the day, the government's going to be faced with a decision of inflation or higher interest rates. And they're going to pick inflation between those two. Debt service coverage would be unpalatable for the government at higher levels. And we see inflation as a bit of a wealth tax as well. So we believe that we're going to see higher inflation and inflation that's persistent. We're hearing that on the micro level. So what we need to do is focus in on companies that have pricing power.
2: And on the micro level, the number of new entrants into the high yield market in just the last couple of years, uh, and the quality of those new entrants is really remarkable. It's a very different high yield market than most people would envision or what we were accustomed to uh, in prior cycles. Many of these issuers have very large public market capitalizations, multiples, of the debt that they have outstanding, and they're very high quality businesses that do have that pricing power that John's talking about.
1: So when you're thinking about it as an asset class, is high yield something investors should approach opportunistically when the market conditions are supportive, or do you see high yield as something that complements equities and fixed income as part of an overall portfolio? So is is it really time to rethink the 60-40 allocation, or do you think that high yield really deserves that? standalone structural uh, opportunity in an overall portfolio allocation.
2: Yeah, there's no question. It's a very compelling asset class with returns over long periods of time that are competitive with equities, but much lower downside volatility on those drawdowns. The recoveries have typically come much faster. So if you have any sort of real return objectives, it's very difficult to start with a, a significant portion of your portfolio yielding well below inflation. So 60-40 has not worked for a long time. I think it's interesting in the institutional space, everybody has a strategic long-term allocation to private equity. And what is private equity? It's an investment in the equity of highly leveraged businesses. And we are investing in The debt of businesses, some of which are highly leveraged, some of which are not, they tend to be more often publicly traded or family owned than private equity owned. But we think the quality of the businesses and where we are in the capital structure is actually better than you would see in the private equity universe. Yet institutional investors have a strategic allocation to the equity investment in those companies. So I think that if investors get comfortable with that, they should absolutely be comfortable investing higher up in the capital structure in better businesses.
1: Great, really appreciate your guys' time. And I think this is uh, an asset class that to John's point is often overlooked or misunderstood. And hopefully we provided uh, a lot of folks with some really good information they weren't aware about before. So thank you both for your time. And thank you
0: for listening to this episode of Talking Markets with Franklin Templeton. If you'd like to hear more, visit our archive of previous episodes and subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or just about anywhere else you listen to your podcasts. And we hope you'll join us next time when we uncover more insights from our on-the-ground investment professionals. This material reflects the analysis and opinions of the speakers as of November 9, 2021 and may differ from the opinions of portfolio managers, investment teams, or platforms at Franklin Templeton. It is intended to be of general interest only and should not be construed as individual investment advice or a recommendation or solicitation to buy, sell, or hold any security or to adopt any investment strategy. It does not constitute legal or tax advice. The views expressed are those of the speakers, and the comments, opinions, and analyses are rendered as of the date of this podcast and may change without notice. The information provided in this material is not intended as a complete analysis of every material fact regarding any country, region, market, industry, security, or strategy. Statements of fact are from sources considered reliable, but no representation or warranty is made as to their completeness or accuracy. What are the risks? All investments involve risks, including the possible loss of principal. The value of investments can go down as well as up, and investors may not get back the full amount invested. Stocks historically have outperformed other asset classes over the long term, but tend to fluctuate more dramatically over the short term. Bond prices generally move in the opposite direction of interest rates. Thus, as the prices of bonds adjust to a rise in interest rates, the share price may decline. Investments in lower-rated bonds include higher risk of default and loss of principal. Changes in the credit rating of a bond or in the credit rating or financial strength of a bond's issuer, insurer, or guarantor may affect the bond's value. In general, an investor is paid a higher yield to assume a greater degree of credit risk. The risks associated with higher yielding, lower-rated debt securities include higher risk of default and loss of principal. Treasuries, if held to maturity, offer a fixed rate of return and fixed principal value. Their interest payments and principal are guaranteed. There is no assurance that any estimate, forecast, or projection will be realized. Data from third-party sources may have been used in the preparation of this material, and Franklin Templeton, FT, has not independently verified, validated, or audited such data. FT accepts no liability whatsoever for any loss arising from use of this information, and reliance upon the comments, opinions, and analyses in the material is at the sole discretion of the user. Products, services, and information may not be available in all jurisdictions and are offered outside the U.S. by other FT affiliates and or their distributors as local laws and regulation permits. Please consult your own financial professional for further information on availability of products and services in your jurisdiction. Issued in the U.S. by Franklin Distributors LLC, the principal distributor of Franklin Templeton's U.S. registered products, which are available only in jurisdictions where an offer or solicitation of such products is permitted under applicable laws and regulation issued by Franklin Templeton outside of the U.S. Please visit www.franklinresources.com to be directed to your local Franklin Templeton website. Copyright 2021 Franklin Templeton. All rights reserved. Podcast theme music by Adam Vadofsky.